Hello and Namaste. This is a letter from the basement. I am Madhavan. This podcast covers everything about being a Hindu in secular socialist India. We publish a new episode here every other week discussing the intersection of culture and politics in India from a Hindu perspective. If that's something you're interested in, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Jio Savan, Gaana, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. In this letter, we cover the continuing assault of Indian state on Hindu festivals. This time, it is Ganesh Chaturthi and Diwali on target. How the country remembered the Balabar Hindu genocide. The language battles in Tamil Nadu that have now reached temples in that state. Jharkhand Assembly has now established a new ideal for secularists in our country. There is a growing pandemic of temple demolitions in different states. And Assam government has come face to face with illegal infiltrators in that state. Welcome to the basement. Let's start off with a prayer to Ganapati Bappa. Since the last letter from the basement, we Hindus welcomed the remover of obstacles to our homes, performed seva for 10 days and bid farewell with a heavy heart with a request that he come back to bless us again next year. Ganesh Chaturthi has a special place in my heart. It brings back memories of one of the happiest periods in my life. I studied in a residential school from 5th standard to 10th. Vijnana Vihara Residential School near Vishakapatnam in Andhra Pradesh. Celebrating Ganesh Chaturthi was one of the high points during those years in the school. Every year, we would have a collective Ganesha Puja where hundreds of us kids with our little Ganeshas would sit together and do Puja which would be followed by a special lunch. Then, there would be a big Ganesh Murti where the main Puja would happen. For a month leading to Ganesh Chaturthi festival, there would be a competition in the school between the different dormitory rooms where we used to live. Whichever dormitory got the highest points for keeping the room clean throughout that month would get the opportunity to host the big Ganesha in their room till the Nimajinam day. This used to be a big deal for all of us those days and some of us would go to extreme lengths to ensure that all the beds are properly made and cloth hangers are neatly lined up and the floors are swept without a speck. Our dormitory rooms used to have interesting names too. Vidya, Vani, Veena, Vyasa, Vinayaka, Vidyaranya, all names starting with a V. I remember my days in school with great fondness, probably my happiest days as a student. And it was a time when I made lasting friendships. Anyway, enough with the nostalgia, let's get back to the present. And the reality of current times is that it is becoming more and more difficult for us Hindus to celebrate our festivals and follow our traditions. This year's Ganesh Chaturthi festival is a very good example to prove this. Public celebration of Ganesh Puja has been a feature in our country ever since it was started by Balagangadhar Tilak as a way to unite Hindus during the time India was under colonial rule. Since we became independent, it has become an occasion for people to come together in celebration and to foster a sense of communal unity. But in the last couple of years, the Indian state has used COVID as a pretext to clamp down on communal celebration of Hindu festivals like Ganesh Puja, Ramanavami or Gudurga Puja. Things have gotten worse this year with more repressive clampdowns on celebrations. 
This is despite record levels of vaccinations, severe decline in COVID cases, and the state governments all over the country pushing towards normalization, including ending work from home, opening of off markets, and forcing physical attendance in school for unvaccinated children. Hindus in several states like Karnataka, Tamil Nadu, Andhra Pradesh, Gujarat, and Maharashtra have had to take out protests to demand their right to practice our religion without being harassed by the government. Just think about it. Public celebration of Ganesh Chaturthi was not prohibited even by the colonial British rulers. The current Indian state is more colonial towards Hindus than even the foreign colonizers. Of course, it goes without saying that there is no COVID restriction for secular festivities like elections and other political rallies with thousands of participants. Nor is there any restriction on celebration of non-Hindu religious festivals. If you remember, a couple of episodes back I had highlighted how the Supreme Court had Suomoto intervened to ban the covered yatra in northern India but did not bother to do anything when COVID restrictions were relaxed to allow Moharam celebrations in Kerala. Diwali and Dasra festivals this year have already been banned in Delhi by Arvind Kejriwal government citing pollution as a reason. It's interesting to note that same Kejriwal has been supporting the demand of farmers in Punjab to withdraw a law by the central government that seeks to control the practice of stubble burning by farmers which engulfs almost the entire northern India in a thick blanket of smoke every year around November. So it appears that in Kejriwal's view, burning of stubble by farmers in Punjab does not cause pollution but Hindus celebrating Diwali is destroying Delhi's air quality. In the last letter from the basement, the deep dive was on the true history of Malabar Hindu genocide that happened a hundred years ago from August 1921 to February 1922 for about 7-8 to eight months. I also talked about how the left historians in post-1947 India have whitewashed that pogrom and passed it off as a peasant uprising against landlords. Congressy politicians on the other hand have appropriated it as a part of freedom struggle against the British. Both these groups are peddling fake history. Since that episode was recorded, there have been a few developments, particularly in Kerala, in connection with the 100-year anniversary of Malabar Hindu genocide. The central government, after a review by a committee of historians, has decided to remove the names of around 387 Islamist terrorists involved in Malabar genocide from the Dictionary of Martyrs of India's Freedom Struggle, which is published by the Ministry of Culture. Just imagine, religious fundamentalists who carried out targeted plunder, murder and rape of Hindus in pursuit of their agenda to establish an Islamic caliphate in India were till now being passed off as martyrs of freedom struggle. Many thanks and congratulations to PM Modi and his government for this much delayed yet much needed correction of historical records. As you can expect, this decision is opposed by the usual suspects, the communists, the self-proclaimed secularists, Muslim League in Kerala, OIC of Hyderabad, and Congresses like Shashi Tharoor. Nothing surprising there. Speaking of Shashi Tharoor, he was recently involved in a discussion with Supreme Court lawyer J. Saidipak, which eventually turned into a debate of sorts on two contrasting ideas of India as a nation and as a civilization. The occasion was to launch Tharoor's latest book in Chennai. During the question and answer session of the program, Someone asked Tharoor about his shameful defense of Malabar Hindu genocide. And Tharoor started off on his trope about freedom struggle and agrarian uprising and how wonderful Varian Kunnatakunya Madhaji was and all that. 
Saidipak called out Tarur's bluff and highlighted the facts, mostly what I had discussed in the last letter from the basement. And Tarur was forced to become so defensive that he requested the audience to limit their questions to the topic of his book and not bring up other issues, like you know how he was peddling fake history. There are several videos of that event on YouTube and it's uh, definitely worth checking out. Not because it involves a high-flying anti-Hindu politician being forced on the back foot, but because it is revealing and quite educational. It's revealing of the kind of dishonesty practiced by the leftists and the so-called secular intellectuals in India, especially when it comes to issues involving Hindus, our history or our uh, persecution. It's educational on how this dishonesty can be challenged and taken down with facts and truth. This is something every Hindu in this country has to internalize and pass on to our next generations. Truth is on our side, facts are our strength and knowledge is our ally. In another incident related to the 100-year anniversary of Malabar Hindu genocide, someone in Kerala organized a celebration. Yes, you heard that right, a celebration. And the chief guest for the event was the Speaker of Kerala Assembly, Comrade M.B. Rajesh. If you follow my YouTube channel, you may already know this. Comrade M.B. Rajesh's wife was given a job through the back door at Kaladi Sanskrit University by the CPIM-led Kerala government. Participating in this celebration of Hindu genocide, Comrade Rajesh in true communist style peddled the fake history that what happened in Malabar in 1921 was part of our freedom struggle. He went so far as to say that thinking of Varian Kunnat Kunyamad Haji reminded him of Bhagat Singh. That pause was to give you some time to digest the absurdity of that comparison. But if you heard last letter from the basement, this won't come to you as a surprise. Communists in this country have been peddling this fake history of agrarian revolt or freedom struggle since 1947 despite reams of evidence to the contrary. In one of the previous letters, I told you of an incident where the Madras High Court dismissed a petition requesting to prevent the Periyarist Chief Minister of Tamil Nadu from interfering in the functioning of temples in that state. At that time, the court said such petitions cannot be entertained because India is a secular country. Fast forward a few days and the same Madras High Court dismissed another petition that requested them to stop the Periyarist Tamil Nadu government from forcing Hindu temples to perform puja and other offerings in Tamil instead of Sanskritam. This time, the court said that it is the devotee's choice in which language they want the puja to be performed. It looks like the court has conveniently ignored the secular nature of India's constitution. I think it is useful in our country for everyone to keep remembering the meaning of secularism from time to time. Everywhere else in the world, the word secularism is understood to mean a separation between the state and the religion. It is meant to prevent the state from being influenced by religious affiliations of one or the other group of its citizens and to protect the religious institutions from undue meddling by the state. In India, however, secularism is a tool to perpetuate unrestrained, limitless authority of the state over all matters related to Hindu religious institutions. Like I said in the last letter from the basement, this is a continuation of the colonial project of civilizing the heathens. It comes from a mindset that is prejudiced to think that anything Hindu is regressive and in need of reform by the state. So secularism is invoked whenever it is suitable in the pursuit of this agenda. If invoking secularism doesn't serve this agenda, it is conveniently forgotten. 
another thing that the very respectable judges seem to ignore and it's not just in this case but many other times earlier also in cases like shabrimala and shanishinganapur is that temples are not cinema theaters where you can go and ask for a deluxe class ticket or an ordinary class ticket or some textile shop where you can go and ask for a shirt in whichever color you like or some entertainment channel like uh, hotstar where you can listen to sports commentary in whichever language you want every temple is established under a certain tradition and follows specific rituals the deity in every temple is different you cannot have one shoe fits all kind of rules one doesn't visit a temple as a tourist but as a devotee and if you are a devotee you should respect the traditions of that temple if you do not respect those traditions or you think they are stupid or regressive or whatever just don't go to pray there there are hundreds of vishnu temples in our country and hundreds more of shiva temples what's the purpose of visiting each vishnu temple or each shiva temple it's the same bhagwan no why even go to a temple to pray for that matter ishwara is everywhere in every grain of sand in every insect in every animal in you and in me then why go to the temple and that too to so many of them because each temple is different each one radiates a different kind of energy and evokes a different kind of emotion in a devotee if you cannot or do not relate to that energy or feel that emotion there is no point even going to that temple pray in your house or wherever else you find peace ishwara can hear you from anywhere even better establish a temple in accordance with the traditions you believe in there you can have mantras chanted in tamil or telugu or bhojpuri or hindi or urdu or english or whatever other language like i said in a previous letter in the context of appointment of pujaris in tamil nadu temples just because you do not like something and just because you temporarily have power for the next 5 years you cannot destroy a system that has been in practice for hundreds and thousands of years there is no restriction on how many number of temples can be there there is not even a restriction on establishing new temples anyway tamil nadu government takes away all the money collected from temples in that state use that money to construct your new social justice temples appoint pujaris as per your government appointment rules with reservations and backdoor appointments and all that recite mantras in whichever language you want but why meddle with an established tradition a temple or for that matter any institution becomes popular and people want to visit that temple because it is being run in a certain way and following certain practices if you try to destroy that then you are trying to destroy the very reason why you want to go there isn't it then what will remain is a hollow building like some museum i see this kind of attitude among fellow indians very often especially when it comes to schools and other educational institutions there are government schools which run with our tax money but they are so bad that no one wants to send their kids there if there is any option all of us including me want to send our kids to private schools because that is the only way they can even get a decent education but private schools are not cheap the kind of standards and facilities because of which we want our kids to go there those don't come cheap if they have to have good teachers they have to be paid well if they have to have other facilities fans clean toilets library computers those have to be paid for but every academic year we have parent associations in every city and every state in the country demanding that government should put a cap on fees collected in private schools and 
state governments are happy to oblige so what will eventually happen if the private schools can't pay for the quality of teachers and maintenance of facilities the very standards because of which you want your kid to go to that school will not be there anymore there is a nice moral story about this kind of thinking it involves a woodcutter who is sitting on a branch of a tree and is cutting the same branch i'm sure most of you would have heard this story at some point the whole purpose of such moral stories is so we do not show that kind of behavior in real life so if you like a temple there is a reason why you like it most of these temples and their practices are hundreds or even thousands of years old they have withstood the test of time and tyranny they were there in this land much before the current judicial system in our country came into existence why they were there much much before even the british colonial judicial system which our judiciary is a continuation of came into existence so in your quest for social justice and a liberal utopia please do not destroy what you have not contributed to build or even managed to improve upon these ideas of liberalism and social justice that so many of the elites in this country seem to hold so dear after 74 years have not even managed to achieve equality or justice even in secular matters of our society instead of fixing that they are trying to meddle in something that doesn't even need fixing and if the constitution is to be taken seriously is clearly not their business have you heard about the brand new namaz room in jharkhand assembly no don't worry that's why i'm here to inform you about the wonders of indian secularism the jharkhand assembly speaker has decided to allocate a special hall in the assembly building for muslims to offer namaz as of now there are four muslim mlas in the 81 member assembly mind you there is no such special arrangement for hindus or christians or members of any other religion to offer prayers in the assembly only muslim members get that privilege anyway bjp which becomes hindutvavadi when in opposition took up this issue and protested violation of secularism just for record government in jharkhand is headed by jharkhand mukti morcha party in coalition with congress this entire drama reminded me of another incident that happened many years ago when vajpayee was prime minister and murli manohar joshi was the union hrt minister a conference of the state education ministers was organized in delhi by the central government at that time and the program started with saraswati vandana even while the prayer was going on the education ministers from communist states like west bengal and tripura and ministers from other non bjp ruled states walked out of the meeting hall protesting against what they called saffronization of education in a secular country but today when a special place for prayer is being created inside legislature building for only one special religious group not a squeak from these guardians of secularism not even a squeak this is the reality of so called secularism in india it is a stick to beat hindus with it is a mechanism to force us to retreat and compromise on our beliefs and practices no other religious group in this country has to carry the burden of secularism only as hindus next time some politician from a secular party or some liberal intellectual tries to guilt trip you in the name of secularism remember this little earlier i said bjp becomes hindutvavadi when in opposition this is a peculiar feature of bjp when they are out of power they become ardent defenders of hindu rights and everything hindu but as soon as they come to power on the back of that pro hindu agenda 
their attitude towards hindus becomes indistinguishable from the so called secular parties that they had defeated i had talked about this many times in the past on my blog on youtube channel and on this podcast itself there have been some new examples in the past few weeks that strengthen this impression in gujarat where bjp has been in power for the last 25 26 years surat municipal corporation which too by the way is headed by bjp demolished the ramdev pier mandir to make way for the metro rail project hindus from the area who protested this were arrested by gujarat police there was a video which was viral on twitter the temple pujari was seen walking away in tears as the temple was being demolished of course this is nothing new in gujarat in 2008 when our current prime minister was chief minister of gujarat almost 100 temples were demolished in gandhinagar alone in the name of vikas what's interesting is just a couple of months back in july this year modi government informed our parliament that there are over 170 illegal religious structures on railway platforms all over the country and they said it's difficult to remove these because they fear the protest by public could turn into a law and order issue i'm pretty sure most of these illegal religious structures are definitely not temples otherwise they would have already been demolished protests or no protests in another bjp ruled state karnataka a famous adishakti mahadevamma temple near mysore was demolished in the middle of night just a day before ganesh chaturthi according to local mp pratap simha who is also from bjp the temple was almost 500 years old how can a 500 year old temple be illegal how can it encroach onto a road which was laid much much after the temple was constructed does that even make sense the local municipal authorities had in fact prepared a hit list of over 90 temples to be demolished in and around mysore alone and only temples no other religious structures were to be demolished this hit list and temple demolition plans have now been shelved after protests by vishwa hindu parishad and other hindu outfits in the area and intervention by ruling party mp pratap simha while we criticize what is wrong we have to give credit where it is due Pratap Simha worked with purpose on this issue taking it up with local authorities and even the state chief minister to ensure that there are no more temple demolitions in Mysore Unfortunately the MP from Surat did not show the same kind of consideration Hindus in Surat should keep this in mind when they vote next time Leader of opposition in Karnataka assembly Congress leader Siddaramaiah also made lot of noise on this issue so that may also have helped in Mysore from gujarat and karnataka in the west coast let's jump to assam in the east there was recently an incident there which ended up with police opening fire and a couple of people dead and several injured this happened in sipajhar in darang district of assam when government authorities went there to remove people who were illegally occupying government land and the encroachers in turn attacked the police Most of these people who had encroached government land were Bengali speaking Muslims and those who had complained against them were native Assamese speaking Muslims as you may know people in eastern parts of India especially in states like Assam and Bengal face a huge problem due to illegal infiltrators from Bangladesh these infiltrators come into our country in thousands and just occupy hundreds of acres of land which is traditionally used by local communities for agriculture and for grazing their cattle 
As per Assam Chief Minister Himanta Biswa Sarma, the area in that state that has been illegally occupied by these infiltrators is larger than the entire area of Goa. Just imagine what's going on there. In Sipajhar Revenue Circle alone where this incident happened, there is 77,000 bigas of land that has been encroached. This is equal to more than 25,000 acres of land. This is just mind-blowing. And this problem is not limited to just one district of Assam. As per an interim report submitted by HS Brahma committee appointed by Assam government to look into this illegal encroachments issue, as many as 15 of the 33 districts in Assam are dominated by illegal Bangladeshi infiltrators. That is, more than half the state is under illegal occupation of foreigners. As per this report, this illegal infiltration is also affecting the cultural heritage of Assam. The very identity of as many as 18 Vaishnavite monasteries in the state is under threat due to this infiltration. Most of us in the rest of India aren't even aware about this slow invasion of our land and destruction of our cultural heritage. That's because the media that is supposed to inform us hushes things up in the name of protecting secularism and maintaining communal harmony. Even now, we are hearing about this only because the state is ruled by BJP and two Bangladeshi infiltrators who attacked police were killed. Leftist media outlets and left liberal activists were quick to jump in to blame the police and Assam government with their usual trope of Muslim khatre mein In their desperate scheme to show India in a bad light, they don't even seem to realize that those whose lives are being affected those who are losing their livelihood and losing their land because of this illegal infiltration are also Muslims, except they speak Assamese and are Indians. As per the Assam chief minister, the Islamist terrorist organization Popular Front of India was mainly involved in raising funds and organizing the riots that resulted in the present tensions. With the Popular Front terrorists being involved, this is clearly not the end of this issue. We will certainly hear more from Assam very soon. That's all in this letter from the basement. Hope you like what you heard. If so, please share this with your family and friends. Please leave a review and a rating in whichever podcast app you are listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Search for letters from the basement wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Till I talk to you again in two weeks, stay safe and be happy.